0: You are listening to the Grace Covenant Church audio podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles, if you look with me this morning to the book of 1 Peter, if you go to the back and start your way to the front, it's, um, it's pretty easy to find. It's in the, uh, the, end, of the Old, uh, end of the New Testament. You'll find this letter that Peter wrote to early believers. And Today we're launching into a new series. So we're going to be hanging out here for a while in the book of 1 Peter. So I would encourage you this week, take about 20 minutes and read through this letter that Peter wrote. But we've titled this series Hope for Today. In the midst of the crisis of what's happened in this past week and the realities of our lives. How many of you know that we need hope today? Amen. Hope for today. The hope of Christ in our lives. So that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks Hope is a is a wonderful gift from God. It's a source of strength and uh, courage in the face of life's harshest, harshest trials. You know, when we're trapped in a, in a tunnel of misery, it's it's hope that becomes the light at the end of the tunnel. When we're discouraged, what it's hope that lifts our spirits. When we're when we're tempted to quit, it's it's hope that keeps us going. When we fear the worst, it's, it's hope that brings reminders that god's still in control when we find ourselves unemployed it's it's hope that reminds us that we we still have a a future before us when we feel rejected and abandoned it's hope that reminds us that that we're not alone that we'll make it and when we come to say our final farewell to someone we love being they die it's in that place that hope hope in life beyond this life Carries us through our times of grief. Put simply, when life hurts and dreams fade, nothing helps us like hope. That's why Peter, who experienced failure, who experienced disappointment, um, who experienced adversity. In the midst of all of that, it's Peter who writes this letter to the early church. Talking about hope. And the hope that, that we have in Christ, see it's hope in life that makes all of the difference. There's a great story that was in Parade magazine. It comes from a man by the name of Eugene Land. Eugene Land was a self-made multimillionaire, had lots of money, and he was invited in to speak to a group of sixth graders in the inner city of Harlem so he's going into the hood to talk with a group of sixth graders and according to the the statistics most of the kids who were in this class would not graduate from high school just the reality of the hood that they lived in the challenges and the adversities of life it was a predominantly black Puerto Rican neighborhood so here's this self-made multimillionaire speaking to a group of sixth graders like what in the world is he going to say to a group of sixth graders so he goes in he approaches the class he's trying to connect with the class and all of a sudden he realizes all of the stuff that he's prepared is not going to work and so he sets his notes aside and decides he's just going to speak from his heart to this group of sixth graders and it was then that he said these words didn't know where the words came from but again he's speaking from his heart this is what he said to the students he said stay in school and I'll help pay the college tuition of every one of you <laughs> you get that those words go out of your mouth and you're trying to figure out how to get them back in. Stay in school now again, this was a group of students in a challenging place in the city, most of whom, according to the statistics, would not finish school. But one of the students said that day changed my life because all of a sudden I realized there was hope for my future, and there was hope in life. Get this. They followed this class to their graduating year. Ninety percent of the students graduated from high school. Ninety percent. Why? Someone gave them hope for the future. Someone was willing to step up and and invest in their life. See, hope isn't merely a nice option that helps us temporarily clear a hurdle. It's essential to our survival. Matter of fact, look into your notes there this morning. It's been said that we can live 40 days without food, eight days without water, four minutes without air, but only a few seconds without hope. Take away hope and our world is reduced to something between depression and despair. And we see this reality playing out in the crisis of suicide where individuals take their lives because they, they feel they have no hope. Now think about this. In the United States of America, in this great nation in which we live, the abundance of our prosperity and and all that we enjoy. Get this, suicide today is the second leading cause of death for those who are 10 to 24 years of age. Second leading cause. In 2014, the suicide rate in the United States was 13 per 100,000 people, the highest rate in 28 years. From 1999 to 2010, the suicide rate among, um, among Americans aged 35 to 64 increased almost 30%. And oftentimes, when people take their lives, and because of my role, I've been a part of a s- several situations where I was doing a funeral for someone who chose to take their life, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, Individuals leave a note, and if you were to read the note, most of the time there's a phrase somewhere in the note that says, I felt like I had no hope. I felt like I had no future. I felt like I had no way out. It's not always phrased exactly like I had no hope, but usually somewhere in the note that they leave, there was a statement about they felt like there was no future. See, see, hope is critical for our lives. Without it, we cannot function. So so what is hope? A lot of definitions for hope. So let's all get on the same page this morning with a common definition. There in your notes, Webster defines hope as a desire accompanied by expectation or belief in fulfillment. To desire with expectation of attainment. Now, the word hope today in our culture and our society has become really watered down. We have weakened what I believe is a really strong word. We've weakened hope and we've connected hope almost like we're wishing for. So we say something like this. I hope I get a new car for my birthday. Or I, I hope it doesn't rain today. Or I hope I get uh, the promotion at my job. And in that, we weaken this word that's so much more than just wishing for. It's it's living with a confident expectation of. It's living with an expectation of a greater future that God has for us. That's what the word hope means. But it's important for us to understand that, that hope is only as good as the object on which it's placed. If you place your hope in something or someone who's not dependable, then I'm, I can tell you you're going to be disappointed. For example, let's say you put your hope in our government today. Yeah, <laughs> How many of you know you're going to be disappointed? Amen. Let me tell you why. Because our government is not dependable. It's, it has folks in it like you and I. And they have issues. They have challenges just like us. But if you put your hope in the government, this is what I can tell you. You're going to be disappointed. Why? Because the object of your hope is not something that's trustworthy. Let's say you put your hope in the stock market. How many of you know you're going to be disappointed? Why? Because the stock market is so volatile. It's up and down. So if you're an investor and the stock market shoots up 300 points, how many of you know you're pretty happy? But you take that same stock market and it drops 500 points in one day, you become real grumpy. Let me tell you why you become grumpy. You've placed your hope in something that's faulty, a system that's not dependable. Matter of fact, if you look back in our history, 1929, how many know? A little history question. What happened in 1929? The crash, right? The crash of Wall Street, stock market crash leading into the Great Depression. In that time, there were thousands upon thousands of people who had put their hope in the stock market. And when the stock market crashed, so did their lives. In that year, 1929, this is a fact recorded in history, 23,000 people took their lives. Why? Had their hope placed in the wrong place. And when the crash came, again, it crashed their lives. Listen, hope is critical, but it's only as good as the object on, it's, uh, on which it's placed. That's why we want to put our hope in a God who never changes. We want to anchor ourselves to the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not like the stock market, up one day, and down the next. He's constant. Never changes. He's constantly in your life working for your good. It's that God that we want to put our hope in. It's that God that we want to anchor ourselves to. So Peter here in his letter, let me tell you a little bit about the context here. Peter is writing this letter to early believers who, as a result of coming to faith in Christ, were experiencing intense persecution. So that's who he's writing. It's important for us to understand that. They were being ridiculed, they were being abused, um, they were being made fun of, they were even being martyred because of their faith in Christ. So Peter, writing to these early Christians, said, hey, put your hope in the God who never changes. That's why he writes them this letter that's all about hope, because what Peter knows, that in the midst of the uncertainty of their time, they must anchor themselves to the hope the living hope that god brings for our lives and i would suggest to you this morning that just as the early church needed hope for their day so hope is critical for our day we need hope today so so let's look to peter's words here first peter chapter 1 beginning with verse 3 Peter wrote, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into, catch these two words, into a living hope. Living hope And he goes on in verse 10 to talk about the salvation we received. The, the prophet spoke of it longing, looking for that day. He says, hey, the salvation you're living out is so wonderful. Even the angels in heaven are like standing on the clouds looking over saying, wow, look at the wonder of the grace of God that they're experiencing in their lives. And then we come to this in, in verse 13, therefore. If you have your Bible, you might want to underline that word, therefore. I'm going to come back to that word in just a minute. It's an important word within this text. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Look back to verse 3. Notice Peter states here that God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we have more than hope today. We have living hope. Turn to your neighbor and say, Hey, you got a living hope. Go ahead and tell them. It's a living hope because it's grounded to the living Word of God and it's provided to us through our living Savior, Jesus Christ, who was crucified and resurrected on the third day. Therefore, we have a living hope. A living hope is one that has life in it. Therefore, it can give life to us. Let me tell you, why we have a living hope. Why we can, we can face whatever life brings our way, even death, yet be confident and at peace. The reasons for this living hope we have are, are all recorded right here in the first few verses of what Peter wrote to the early church. And I think that's, it's these truths that we often need to be reminded of. So we have a living hope because first God has provided the way of salvation. If you look back to verse three, notice Peter says because of God's mercy, because God saw us in our state of crisis and because God took action on our behalf, because of God's mercy, there's been this way of salvation that's been opened to us that we might have our sins forgiven and that we might become the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 states it like this, for, for God made Him, being Jesus who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, we have a living hope because God was merciful. We have a living hope because God opened this way for salvation that's brought hope for our lives. A few months ago I was watching a TV show There was a gentleman who fell down the mountain, rolling down the mountain. He goes over the edge of the mountain, and he falls and actually ends up on a cliff. So he's in this precarious situation, injured on this uh, rock cliff, hanging on for his life. Rescue squad comes. They have a large rope that they let down to this man uh, to bring him to a place of safety. For that man... As I was watching this happen, I thought, wow, that rope is help and hope for him. The rope became his way of salvation. How did they save this man from this precarious situation? Well, they, they lowered a rope, and it was the rope that became his way to safety. Listen, in the same way, in the same way, through the provision of the cross, we have the way of salvation. The cross for us is a place of help and a place of hope. So first, we have a living hope because God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. God provided the way of salvation. Not only that, we have a living hope because God has promised a secure inheritance. If you look on in verse 4, Peter said, Into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, It's kept in heaven for you. In other words, it's set aside. Now, how many of you know we all like inheritance? Come on, get on board with me. Listen, if you don't have a rich uncle, you wish this morning that you had a rich uncle. Why? Because we all like inheritance. And here's the good news. Because of the living hope we have, we have an inheritance, a secure inheritance. And listen, the inheritance you have in Jesus Christ is more secure than the FDIC provided by the government. Hear me? Listen, the inheritance you have is more secure than the gold that's stored in old Fort Knox. Uh Amen. Kept in heaven. Listen, I have living hope. Why? Because Peter says that I have this inheritance that is secure. And notice he says it can never perish, meaning no one can take it from me. He says it can never spoil, meaning it cannot be stained or, or cheapened in any way. He says it can never fade, meaning it'll never grow old because it's eternal. So we have a a living hope because no matter what happens, we have an eternal inheritance awaiting us. Isn't that good news? So we have this living hope because of a promised inheritance that's secure. We also have a a living hope because God's protecting us from evil forces. If you look on to verse 5, Peter says who through faith are shielded by God's power, or we could say protected by God's power, until the coming of salvation. So as believers, we're not kept by our own power, we're kept by God's power. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, get this, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity moved in to your life. So wherever you go, you have God with you. Wherever you go, the Scripture says that you are shielded by, you're protected by. So you have God guiding you and directing you. You're shielded by God's power. That's what that's what it means. We have this living hope. How many of you are? How many of you are Star Wars fans? I know we're in church, but it's okay to admit it. God, listen, God knows already. Star Wars. Maybe you'll remember in the Star Wars s- series, may, there was a phrase that was made popular, and here's the phrase: "May the Force, may the Force be with you." And it was a it was a statement that was made as someone was leaving. If you had a if you had a friend, um, Obi Wan Kenobi would often say, as individuals were leaving, "May the Force be with you." It was like, may the favor, may the favor of God, uh, may the favor of the force be with you to protect you. Let me tell you something. Here's the good news this morning is we have the force, not a force. We have the force who's in us wherever we go. Well, you have the force with you. You have the living God. So, So Peter says here, man, we have this living. Oh, why? Because because God is is protecting us from evil forces. We're shielded by God's power. But it doesn't stop there. And we also have a living hope because God is refining us through times of suffering. Now, we don't get quite as excited about this. We're <laughs> going to talk about this more next week, so I'm not going to spend much time here. But if you look at verse 6 and 7, Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a, a little while you've had to suffer grief in, in all kinds of trials. Listen, we have hope because God is is using the adversities of life to build into our lives. Even though times might be be hard, what God's shaping us through those times for greater opportunities. In other words, God's shaping you through the adversities because this is what He knows. He has greater future for you. He knows He's placed greater potential in your life. Not that He brings the adversity, but He will use the adversity To prepare you for the future, he has for you. Why God has better. Turn to your neighbor and says, "Turn to your neighbor and say, God has a better future for you." And what oftentimes it's the adversities that refine us. I I remember growing up as a kid. I have an older brother, and you know, one kid gets in some trouble. Two boys gets in lots of trouble. (laughs) So my brother and I, we could just find all kinds of trouble to get into. and so oftentimes my parents would bring suffering in my life. <laughs> now, I didn't, I didn't appreciate it then. But I can tell you today at 51, looking back, I am so grateful Amen. that my parents brought suffering in my life. Because they, they knew that there was a greater future. Ahead for me. So what did they do? At times, in the refining process of my life, they would create suffering. Not because they didn't love me, but because they radically loved me, and they were committed to my life and committed to my future. They knew they knew there was a greater future. So what? They would bring suffering. Now again, not that God brings suffering, but God uses the adversity in our lives. To refine this again. Why? Because he has greater future. Right. He has greater plans. Talking about living hope. God sees something greater in your future. And he says, okay, I'm going to get you ready for what I have for you. And that's exciting. So even in the midst of the adversity, we have this living hope. And because of this living hope we have, it should then shape how we live. In other words, living hope should be lived out in such of a way that it's bringing hope to others. It's interesting how Paul writes this letter. I, I ask you earlier to notice a word. Verse 13 begins with the word "Therefore. Anytime you find the word "Therefore" in Scripture, you need to ask yourself, what is therefore, therefore?" Because it's always an important transition. So Peter saying, because of all of this that gives you this living hope, therefore, this then is how you should live. What he's playing out here is is the privilege responsibility. He's saying to the early believers, listen, you have all of these privileges. Now here's the responsibility. If you have this living hope, okay, this is how the living hope should be lived out. It's kind of like, and we all have different scenarios we could talk about this morning. I'm just thinking in my own life, I have the privilege of working here at Grace Covenant. And I have the privilege every two weeks I I get a paycheck that provides for my family. It's privilege. But also with the privilege, there comes responsibility. Like, you know, I show up on Sunday to do my work and you're probably you're wondering, what do you do the rest of the week? I show up a few other days and I do a few things. (laughs) But there's a responsibility. There's a privilege. I have this position and I get this paycheck. That's privilege. But there's also responsibility. Like I couldn't listen, I I couldn't wake up this morning and say, hey, beautiful day. I think I'm going to go play 18. We'll let somebody else speak. Listen, that doesn't fly. It doesn't work. I have responsibility so, so privilege and responsibility. That's the same thing Peter's saying here. because you have this living hope. Okay, now this is how you should then live it out. Let me leave you with these three statements this morning as I wrap this up. In verse 13, the first thing Peter says as we're living out our hope, first thing he says to us is, "Hey guys, you've got to get in the game. Get in the game. Notice that if you you look back to verse 13, it says, therefore, prepare your minds for action, or this version says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Or I love the way the message paraphrase reads, says, Eugene Peterson wrote it like this, he says, so roll up your sleeves and put your mind into gear. My dad used to say, come on, son, put your rear into gear. Now, it's not quite the same, but that's kind of what Peter's talking about here. Get in the game. Get off the sidelines. Get out of your comfort zone and get in the game. Prepare your mind for action. Because of the living hope. Well, get in the game. Now, I was thinking about a happening, this is years ago. Years ago, I, when I was in high school... I played high school football, and I went to a small school, small rural school in Arkansas, and it was such that anyone that went out for the team made the team. Uh, I mean, like, we needed, we needed everyone. And um, so one night, uh, we're at a game, and uh, my, one of my good friends, his name was Lonnie Souls, uh, went out for the team, and of course, everybody everybody gets on the team. And this is what you need to know about my friend Lonnie souls. Lonnie souls looked like a pencil. Um, small, frail. Matter of fact, Lonnie was so frail, so small, that they didn't have any equipment that adequately fit Lonnie. Um, how many, have you ever seen one of those Bible heads? You know what I'm talking about? The helmet that they gave Lonnie was so big, he could move his head around and the helmet wouldn't even move. So one game, one Friday night, we're playing, we're playing, and we were like 40 points behind, which was not unusual. <laughs> we didn't have a very good team. And so, you know, 40 points down, at this point, the coach is like, you know, we're probably not going to turn this around. So it's like, empty the bench. Everybody gets to play. And I remember um, this night, Lonnie is standing beside me, and the coach comes to Lonnie and says, Lonnie, it's your time. Get in the game. And Lonnie Lonnie didn't take a step forward. Without his helmet moving, his head did this. (laughs) And he didn't go in the game. Actually, after that night, the next week, he turned in his gear, and that was the end of his football career. (laughs) But it was his time to go in the game, and he wouldn't get off the sidelines and get in the game. And because of the living hope that we have, the first thing Peter says is we need to get in the game. We need to prepare our minds for action. We need to engage. So what does that look like? It looks like this, that you're living out your hope in such a way that other people experience the hope of Christ in your life. That you're living out your hope in such of a way that you're engaging a process of ongoing growth and development in your life. Why? Because you're off the sidelines in the game. What does it look like? It looks like this. You're living your life in a positive way in a negative world. Why? Because of the presence and the reality of Jesus Christ in your life. Well, you need to get off the sidelines and you need to get in the game. The second thing that Peter says here, because of the living hope we have, he says you need to control your fleshly desires. If you look back to verse 13, he says, be self-controlled. And if you look on to verse 14, Peter says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Folks, within every one of us, everyone in the room today, Within every one of us, there's an ongoing conflict happening. Yes. There's a battle happening. And it's, it's a battle between the spirit and the flesh. It. It's a conflict that's playing out. That you and I have to deal with every day. And in this conflict, Peter's saying, be self control In other words, control that of your flesh, so that your flesh is not calling the shots in your life. You know, Paul had the same challenge. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says, I don't know what the problem is. The good I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. But what is it? He's, oh, wretch man that I am. And Paul had the challenge as well. So there's this ongoing conflict between spirit and flesh. And in the, Paul's, Peter says that we need to control our fleshly desires. In other words, there's there's times and places, folks, that we need to learn to say no. No, I'm not gonna think that thought, I'm not gonna say that words, those words, and I'm not gonna take that action. No. I'm not gonna engage in that conversation where the juicy gossip is happening in the workplace. No, I'm not gonna do that. Self-control. Something pops up on the computer screen as you are in the secrecy of your office at home. And you have a choice to make, and you say, No, I'm not gonna go there. Maybe there's a situation where you and your mate are, are arguing, and, and the, as the husband, you have like the zinger of all zingers, and you say, No, I'm not gonna say it. What is that? It's called self control. Peter says, because of the living hope we have, we need we need to control our fleshly desires. Learning to say, no, you know, there's an interesting passage to Scripture in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. Listen to what what Solomon wrote. He says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man or a woman who lacks self-control. Think about that verse for just a minute. A city without walls. In biblical times, you know what a city without walls was like? It was like constantly open to destruction. It was constantly open to the adversary. In other words, any, at any time the enemy could come in and pillage the city, why? No walls. So walls protected in the same way self-control in our lives protects our lives. But We need to be, we need to be self-controlled rather than being out of control. We need to be self-control rather than being driven by our fleshly desires we want to be those who are controlled by the spirit again it's an ongoing conflict it's a daily battle we all face as we're living out hope we want to want to control our fleshly desires the final directive that peter gives us as we're living out our hope is this he says live holy look back to verse 15 and 16 he says, but just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Now this directive seems a bit overwhelming. Be holy. And I think it's because of the, the concept we have of holy. We think of holy as sacred. We think of holy as maybe something religious. And and so when we hear this command, be holy, it's a bit intimidating. Be holy. I mean, if I was going to describe myself to you, if if I were going to give you a list of adjectives that describe, that define me, I wouldn't put holy on the list. Again, because I think we have this misunderstanding of what the word holy means. But it's interesting, if you look in the Greek text, if you go back to the original language, the word holy here means to be different from. Peter's saying, be different from the world. Because of this living hope you have. Be different. In other words, don't don't be like the world. Be different from the world. To be, to be holy means to be different. But for example, I, I assume your Bible's probably like my Bible. Um, here on the binder on the binding it says holy Bible. Holy Bible. Why do we call it Holy Bible? Because this book is different than any other book that's ever been published. It's, whole, it's different from. We call, we call the land of Israel the Holy Land. Why? Because of all of the land masses in the world today that piece of land is different from any and every other piece of land. Why? Because God chose it for His plan and His purpose. It's different from. So what? We call it the Holy land. We call Jerusalem the holy city. Why? Because it's different than any other city in the world today. Listen, there's only one city that Jesus Christ said he was going to return to, and it wasn't Charlotte. It's Jerusalem. That's why we call it what? The holy city. But it's different from. So when Peter says be holy, this is what he's saying to us. Because of the living hope that you have, be different from the world. Don't allow the world to shape you, to conform you into its image and likeness. Actually, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says this. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honor God. Be different from. So because of the... The living hope that we have. What do we we need to do? Peter says, first, get in the game. Get off the sidelines. Get in the game. Listen, if you've been sitting on the sidelines, then the living hope that you have, that privilege brings responsibility. Listen, get in the game. Secondly, he would say, because of this living hope, we need to control our fleshly desires. We need to learn to say no. No, I'm not going to go down that road. No, I'm not going to say those words. No, I'm not going to think that. Then we need to live holy. We need to be different from. Because of the living hope in our lives, we should be those who live out that hope. And the exciting thing for us is this. Because of the hope we have, whatever life brings... And listen, sometimes life's not fair and it's not fun. Whatever life brings, we can still be at peace and we can still have confidence. Why? Because of the hope that we have. One last story. I think most of you would know, unless you're somewhat new, most of you would know about a year ago, my, my dad had a, a massive stroke and he's had some ongoing challenges since then and um, I'm flying out tomorrow because they're doing this procedure, um, the carotid arteries become um, almost completely restricted and so they're going to do this procedure and my mom's pretty wrecked over it and so she wants me to come home. Um, but as interesting as I talk with my dad, dad's like pretty cool with it. And, you know, my dad... Pastored for 45 years, came to know Christ at a young age, and he's 76 now, so he's been walking with Jesus for a long time. And even in the midst of this stroke, every morning he's up, first thing he does is he gets into the Word. So in the midst of this, mom's wrecked, but my dad's pretty cool. And so as I talk with my dad about it, my dad says, you know, um, God's in control. That's my hope. God's in control. And we're going to go in for this procedure on Tuesday. And things go well, then we're going to have better days ahead. If things don't go well, it's still going to be well. He says, You know, son, we're in a win win situation. Isn't that great? We're in a win win situation. What is that, folks? That's a living hope. It's the hope we have in Christ. And it's good news. Would you pray with me? Lord, I, I thank you this morning. For your provision for our lives. God, I thank you that we have hope. Because, Lord, the reality is that sometimes life's not fun. Life's not easy. At times, life's not fair. Now, Lord, even as for the early believers that Peter would have wrote this letter to, they needed hope. Lord, so we need hope today. And the reality of of what's happening in our lives. a Lord, we thank you that we have living hope. That we can anchor ourselves to. Though we can't always control the times that we're facing. Lord, what we can always have is hope because of you. And Lord, for that we're grateful. And Lord, I I pray for everyone here today, all of my friends. Lord, because I think this is one of those messages that apply to all of us. Holy Spirit, help us get in the game and stay in the game. There's individuals here this morning who've been sitting on the sidelines just playing it comfortable. God, I ask that you would make them uncomfortable. They'd get in the game. Holy Spirit, help us to control our fleshly desires. Lord, because it's written in your word in Galatians 5, Lord, the things of the flesh are contrary to the things of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, help us to say no more. To say no to the things we need to say no to. To to be self-controlled. Holy Spirit, work that in our lives. And thirdly, Holy Spirit, help us to be holy. Help us to be separate from. May we not be pressed into the mold of the world or the system of the world. But Lord, by Your Spirit, help us to live holy. Bringing honor to You. And being a witness to a watching world. Holy Spirit, again, help us to that, that end. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.